Father, we just want to thank you for tonight, for the opportunity we have again to just get into your word and study it, to see who you truly are and what you're about and what your desire is for us in our lives as we walk through this world. Uh, We pray that you would just give us wisdom, give us understanding, and as we seek you to know you personally, that we would also seek to know what it is you have for us personally as we become a part of the body of Christ and develop the gifts that you've given to us. Just bless this time and anybody who is on their way or had desired to be here and couldn't make it for whatever reason, just be with them and bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, knowing God, part three. The Spirit of God. So we're going to start with the word itself. In the Greek, in the I'm sorry, in the Hebrew, ruach. Like you got to get that in there. The word means wind, breath, as in to exhale. Okay, so that's that's what the word actually means. And when we're describing the Spirit of God, and we use this word, this is just the way that we as men would describe God's Spirit. Um, we can't really describe what it is because uh, the Holy Spirit isn't just wind. He's not just breath. There's so much more to the Holy Spirit than that. So, And we, we know that because we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures here. Like I said, you come in here, you know we're doing scripture, a lot of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We can see right there in, in 2, 11 and 12, it says, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Then we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So we see the Holy Spirit has the ability to search and to know. And he searches and he knows the things of God. And then he reveals those to us. So a wind, as far as I know, no wind that I've ever felt or heard blow through the trees was ever able to explain something to me. Or as far as I know, it can't search and know things. Right? It's just wind. We can also see, and we're not going to get into all these other ones, we can see in Romans 8.27, the Holy Spirit has the ability to love. In Acts 13.2, it has the ability to speak. In John 14.26, it has the ability to teach, or he, I should be saying, not it. And in Acts 16.6 and 7, he has the ability to guide. Okay? Another thing a wind can, the wind cannot do. Now, these next ones we are going to look at. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, if you guys ever get like lost, I've, I learned... 33 years ago, or probably just a little under that, um, that whenever you're going through like the these epistles of Paul's, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, if you can't remember them in the order, this guy taught me years ago, he goes, just remember, go eat popcorn. G-E-P-C. Go eat popcorn. And then all his tea books are together. All the T-books are 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. They're all together. After you go eat popcorn, you can get into the T-books. And I've never forgotten that. I don't know why it's stuck with me, but so I always do that. I'll be going through, and I know where the books are, and I'll still go, okay, go eat popcorn. Like, 
Now you guys will remember it forever and you go, man, I can't believe that guy did that to me. Anyways, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we can see the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can't grieve wind. You can scream at it, yell at it, get mad at it because, you know, it blew a tree under your car or your house or whatever. The wind could care less. The Holy Spirit, He can be grieved. Hebrews 10, verse 29, tells us that the Holy Spirit can be insulted. Right? 10, 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will He be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. So the Holy Spirit can be insulted. And also in Acts chapter 5, we can see that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. Okay, and it's Acts 5.3. Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So, we can see through searching and knowing, loving, speaking, teaching, guiding. You can grieve him. You can insult him. You can lie to him. You can blaspheme him. Matthew twelve thirty one and 32. That 12, 31 and 32. Therefore, I say to you, every sin that and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. So we can see that these attributes, these personal attributes that the Holy Spirit has can only be given to a being. They can't be given to wind or to breath. Like I said, you can do these things. You can insult the wind. You can lie to the wind. You can blaspheme the wind. And the wind could care less because it's just wind whatever wind really is there's no personality there's no characteristics within wind other than it blows hard strong warm cold but they're not personal attributes that the holy spirit we can see has so the word ruach is more than what the definition actually is the holy spirit is a person it is uh, something that you can actually um, possess. We'll get into that. Um, he does things for us. He, he shows us things. He does these things that we just saw, the love, the speaking, the teaching. We can see all that. He wants to do that in us. That is actually his purpose. So we can see in the very beginning, which is what we want to do. Remember, we're, we're on the third person of the Godhead here. So we've looked at the Father and the Son. And now the Spirit. Um, a lot of times I was thinking about this today. Is a lot of times we know a lot about the Father. We know a lot about the Son. And we hear about the Spirit. But we don't really study His part and how important what He does is as a part of the Godhead. So He's just as important as the Father and the Son. But many times the Spirit is, um, I guess because the Pentecostal type movements 
The Spirit is that thing that makes you swing from the chandeliers and speak in weird languages. You know, you think of tongues if you've ever been in the Pentecostal church where they tongue out, you know, guys up front teaching and somebody jumps up in the back and, and they start screaming out, you know. Um, I've been in those churches. My wife used to go to one of those churches uh, before she was my wife. And it's crazy stuff, man. And you're just like, and that that is the picture and the mindset that most people have when you think of the Holy Spirit and Him taking over and running and ruling in your life. You think of that kind of stuff and you're thinking, man, I don't want to do that. You know, you're walking down the grocery store and you get some Captain Crunch or something and all of a sudden you start tonguing out and you're like, man, what's going on? I don't know. Because that's what um, the Assemblies of God churches teach. That if the whole, if you're, number one, born again, you will speak in tongues and that you have no control. It will just take over and you'll just tongue out. Just off the wall, here you go. And you're just, you can't control it. Well, when we get into, well, actually, we're not going to get into much. Maybe next week we'll cover it because we're going to, we're going to, uh, do a fourth part actually of the the triune God, um, just because I want to cover the gifts a little bit more. I'm not going to have time tonight because there's so much scripture right here. Um, but when God and the Holy Spirit, when God the Holy Spirit gives gifts, He also gives men the ability to ability to either use or not use them, to turn them on or turn them off in their lives. So we're going to take a look at Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 2, we can see the first place in the very beginning. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before anything was, before God had created, His Spirit was already there. So we can see, and this is the one thing that we wanted to point out as we're going through the study, is that the Holy Spirit, the Father God, the Father, the Son God, not Son, S-U-N, S-O-N God, Jesus Christ, the Son, existed from eternity past. They've always been. So the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning, hovering over the face of the waters. What all that means, we're not absolutely sure because the earth was formed without void. Whatever was going on there, God and the Holy Spirit, the whole triune Godhead was there. So this was not his breath. It wasn't like, now we know God did breathe and create things, but this wasn't just his breath like hanging out over the waters. Okay, again, trying to point out that this is not just wind. It is not just breath. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God in speaking to Noah before he brought the flood, it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So we see here again his spirit. He says, It will not always strive with man forever. And this, I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but this is a truth that still remains to this day. Yes, in this scripture, it's speaking specifically of the worldwide flood catastrophe that was going to take place. But if you think about it, God's Spirit one day will no longer work among mankind. God will remove His Spirit from the earth at one point in time and not work among the Gentiles. Right now, that's what the church has. Is, or Let's say it's what the church is supposed to have is God's Holy Spirit ruling over it. Um, much of the church doesn't have that. 
But there will come a day when he no longer will work among men. We just read in Matthew where it says that, that uh, you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that blasphemy will never be forgiven you. If you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and you can't be forgiven, the Holy Spirit no longer will work among you. He's, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, broken down very simply, is that you have rejected everything that God's Spirit is doing and you're attributing it to Satan and satanic powers. If you do that, he's not going to strive with you. He's done. So God works in lives, in people's lives, to a point. And if you continue to reject the work he's trying to do, he's not going to strive with you forever. He's going to give you up. Great example of that, Pharaoh in Egypt. When you look at the Egyptians as they were suppressing the Hebrew children, Pharaoh, God sent Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh, said, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who's God that I should worship him? Moses said, oh, watch this. And he throws a stick down. It turns into a snake. Pharaoh goes, whatever, man. My guys do the same thing. They turn their sticks into snakes. Except Moses' snake ate up the other snakes. It says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. You read through the miracles and it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's four or five times that it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, God was trying to work within Pharaoh. God's purpose is never just for destroying mankind at any point in time. It's always to reconcile, always to redeem. That was always his goal. But there comes a point in time when he says, I will not always strive with man. So his spirit will not always strive with man. That was a real long explanation of not striving with man forever. In Genesis 1, oops, I can't be right. Oh, thank you. In Genesis 41, I'm like looking at him like, that can't be right because Joseph wasn't around in Genesis 1. Thank you, Rachel. Genesis 41, 38. It says, Ken, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? If you guys remember, I'm not going to get into that because Tanner just covered that. If you want to hear the study on this, Tanner did it two, two Wednesday nights ago. He got into that. But we can see the Spirit of God in Joseph as he's able to interpret dreams. We can see through the judges. We're not going to look at them all. We'll look at one in uh, Judges 6, verse 34. With Gideon, we can see it says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. So um, we'll get more into that. Because if you notice in Joseph, it says the spirit was in him. And right here we can see in Gideon, it was upon him. Okay, we're going to get into that later. But we're seeing the Holy Spirit starting to work among men. We can also see in 1 Samuel 10, 6, with Saul, when he's anointed king, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And then in 1 Samuel 16, 14, we can see the Holy Spirit depart from Saul. And that is a common thing in the Old Testament. We can see it throughout the Old Testament. God would allow his Holy Spirit to come upon a person, do whatever the work was that he wanted done, 
and then his spirit would be removed. Okay? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in man like he does in the New Testament since the cross, since Jesus came. We're going to get into that as we go on too. But just so you understand that God removed his spirit from Saul because Saul had done something against, blatantly against what God had told him to do. And then he said, no, I did all that God told me to do. And we're not going to get into that part. That, that'll be a study for somebody else or for another time. Um, we're not going to get into all that. But just so that you see that God in the Old Testament did not have his Holy Spirit inside man to dwell there forever. But there will come a time. I'm speaking in like what we're reading because the time has come now. But in the future of from the Old Testament, when God's spirit would come upon and in man. And it started specifically with one man, and that was with Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 11, that's why I see you guys don't have to write all these down usually. If you can't catch up to me, you've got them written down. You can look them up later. Unless I do them wrong, then you've got to talk to Rachel and she'll find it for you. In Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Okay, the word when it says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, that word in the Hebrew actually means to settle down, to dwell or to stay. So Isaiah is saying in the future, when this rod from the stem of Jesse rises, God's spirit will rest with him and stay with him. It would be a new thing that God is going to do. He's going to allow his spirit to dwell within man at that point. Okay, so in Matthew 3.16, we'll jump forward. And we can see in Matthew 3.16, John the Baptist was baptizing. Jesus came to John and said to let him baptize him. And John said, no, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. And Jesus said, permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fill all righteousness. And he hallowed or he allowed him. Verse 16 says, then when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So here comes the fulfillment of this promise. Verse chapter 4 verse 1 it says and then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So we see the prophecy in Isaiah, we see the fulfillment in Matthew. The spirit coming down from heaven and it you know the Calvary chapels we have the Calvary dove and all the Calvary chapels I don't think that's what descended upon Jesus. I don't think it was that thing there. It's just symbolic we don't believe in it. As far as I know, no Calvary Chapel believes that it was something that looked like that that came down upon Jesus. It was, it's a metaphor. Whatever it was, we have no idea. Um, when we get to heaven, we can ask Jesus, what did it really look like? If we need to, we probably will understand it once we get there. But we have that. And that's what that's a symbol of. Is That symbol on the wall is supposed to mean that God's Holy Spirit is dwelling here within this body not necessarily within this building 
like you know we leave the holy spirit stays there on the wall not like that okay that's not that what that's supposed to be talking about so in john 7 37 and 39 through 39 it says on the last day that great day of the feast jesus stood and cried out saying if anyone thirsts let him come to me am i reading now if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we know a time was coming at that point that once Jesus was glorified, God's Spirit would come and dwell among men but up to this point the holy spirit does not come and dwell or rest like we saw to rest to settle down to dwell with to stay with it has not happened yet i'm trying to drink my coffee before it gets cold ain't gonna happen um okay so in we see that the holy spirit the promise is that the holy spirit will come but it has not yet come john 14 I tried to do these so that we didn't have to go too much out of order. We kind of stayed in the John area. John fourteen sixteen through 18. We'll start with 15. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus says, follow me, love me, keep my commandments. And if you do, I will pray the Father. And he will send you another helper. So he is another. The, the word helper here is parakletos. And the word means one called alongside. Okay, The word para means beside. That's the Greek word, beside. So it's one called beside or one called near. So Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another one to come near. Remember, at this point, Jesus is alive walking on the earth. They're walking with him. They've got Jesus in their midst, but he knows he's going away. So he lets them know, hey guys, if you follow my commandments and you love me, when I'm gone... I'll send you another helper. I'll send you another person to be alongside you. But it's not going to be the same thing. He's another. He's not the same one. He's another one. Because this other one isn't just going to be alongside you. He's going to be in you. It's going to give you power. It's going to give you strength. Last night, Tanner was talking about that. The power that Joseph had in interpreting dreams and having all wisdom to do the administrative gifts that he did in Egypt to know to save up the food for seven years and then get through the seven-year famine. It was God's Spirit that gave Joseph that wisdom because we just saw that he had the Spirit in him. That's where he got that wisdom, was from the Spirit. And that word um, power is actually um, dunamis, is the actual Greek word. 
And a lot of people try to interpret it, or they do interpret it, dynamite. That is where we get our word dynamite. I don't really like that interpretation because when you think of dynamite, what do you think of things blowing up all over the place? So dynamic is the word I like to use. It's a dynamic power. It's something that we've never seen and we don't understand, and we, we, but we can experience it. I mean, we could blow up the world, not in the way dynamite blows up the world, but the 12 apostles did that. And since then, many others have with the power of the Holy Spirit. With that dynamic power, we can do incredible things. Okay, so John fifteen twenty six, again, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And this is Jesus speaking specifically to the disciples that were with him from the beginning, the 12. Okay? Judas is still hanging out with them here. Remember, Judas's purpose, he was not created for the sole purpose of betraying Jesus. Now, he did do that. God knew there was there is nothing. We looked at it when we looked at the Father. There's nothing God can learn. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He already knows it all. So there's nothing he can learn, but he allows that to happen. And he allows Judas to make decisions so that when he makes the bad decisions, he can't look back at God and say, hey, you never gave me a chance. This is the only thing you allowed me to do. Our choices, our free will, prove our love. If God forced each of us to be here tonight to listen to me do a Bible study, number one, you guys wouldn't be probably very happy. You may not be anyways, even if you came on your own. But if he forced that and you had no other choice, you might go, oh, yeah, I don't want to be here, but God's not letting me do anything else. I always liken it to my marriage. I did not go to my wife, pull a gun, put it to her head, tell her she had to love me and marry me the rest of my life. And so she goes, okay. Okay, I'm going to love you and marry you for the rest of your life because there's a gun to her head, right? That's not real love. Instead, for whatever reason, <laughs> she did marry me on her own free will and she loves me. See, it would be like taking a computer, especially computers today that talk, and you can program your computer, let's say when you push the space bar and the I key, right, the letter I, you push them together, and your computer says, I love you. And so you get up in the morning, you go, hey, computer, how you doing? And you push the two buttons, and it goes, I love you. And you just get all warm and fuzzy, and you're like, oh, that feels so good. You'd be, no, the computer doesn't love you. You're making it say that. See, God does it differently. He says, look at what I've done for you. Look at the love that I have for you. Look at how I gave my son to die for you. I forgive you of your sins. And when you see that love, you respond to that love and your response hopefully is love back to him by choice, not being forced, okay? So that's what the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to come from the Father. He's a spirit of truth. He's going to testify of Jesus and because of what we see from the Holy Spirit about Jesus, because I don't think anybody in this room here has seen Jesus. If you have, um, we we got some other issues we need to deal with, but... We can hear from him, but I don't think anybody's seen him, okay? 
But if, if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, it's, it's like we don't see him physically, but we see him in the attributes that are portrayed in other people even through the Holy Spirit. A supernatural love that somebody would have, Corey Ten Boom, who watched the Nazi SS kill her parents and her sister. She goes through, I think she was in Auschwitz, went through the concentration camp, came out, was sharing her testimony, and one of the guards from Auschwitz came to her because he had accepted Jesus Christ and asked for forgiveness. She was able to forgive that man out of a pure heart. That is not natural. There is no way that is natural. A a mother or a father who had their child killed by somebody to forgive the person that killed their child. That's not natural. It's a supernatural love. Through that, you go, oh, there's got to be a God. I've told, well, you guys all know, um, when I got saved, there were people that they were agnostic, so they weren't sure there was a God. I got saved, and they watched me for a little while, and they told me to my face, there has to be a God because there's no way you could have changed the way you have. There has to be a God. So it's And it's not Kevin, okay? Same rotten person. It's God's spirit living within that makes me what I am today. It's, it's Jesus that changed me. Without Jesus, I'm the same rotten person I always was. But those people saw a difference, and they said there has to be a God. There's no other way you could have changed. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. When He comes, He says He will testify of me. That's what the Spirit is going to do. He's going to testify of Jesus. So the Helper will come. We can see that the, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, He has the same attributes that we've looked at in the last two weeks of the Father and the Son, right? We have omniscience in 1 Corinthians. We can see that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Paul speaking says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Okay, we looked at God the Father, God the Son, how much they know that they were omniscient. And here Paul says the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. We looked at this, the things of God, and I can't get into the deep things because I'm not smart enough. But the Holy Spirit, He can. And He can reveal those deep things to us. It's just, are we willing to sit and listen? Are we willing to take the time to dig? That's the whole idea behind this study. I give you guys a ton of scriptures, and I only give you some of them. There's, oh, you guys wouldn't believe how many scriptures I did not put in here. And the same with the last two weeks. And you guys got a bunch. I mean, Sally's looking at it like, eh, really? That's, there's a lot of scripture in there. And I don't know, even a, probably a, a point zero 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 one percent of God's knowledge and what God knows. But the Holy Spirit, He knows it all. He knows the deep things of God. He can get in there and show you stuff. Um, I've shared before, I have a friend, he's been in the Lord 70 probably 75 years or so. And I get with him and he starts talking to me about something that God showed him last week or yesterday. Or, and I'm like, what? 
This guy's a theology professor. He studies the Bible. That's his job. And God speaks to him still after 70-something years. That's the deep things of God that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. You'll never be to a point where you finally got it, got it down and you understand it all. Okay, so we see the, the omniscience, which was something we saw in the Father and the Son. The omnipresence, which means that He's everywhere at the same time. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. This is a Psalm of David. And He says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. So he's saying, your spirit is everywhere. So we see the Father, Son, and Spirit omnipresent. We're going to put all this together next week and and I'm going to have all three and I'm going to show where the three are together all the time. But for now, this will do. Luke chapter 1, 35. Omnipotence, the power, the all-powerful. Not like Oz, even more than that. It says, And the angel answered and said to her, and this is to Mary, about her becoming pregnant without knowing a man. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So it's going to be the Holy Spirit coming upon her with this power from on high. Okay, so... The Holy Spirit, we see, is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, just as the Father and the Son were. So to sum this all up, we already read a little bit of this, but we're going to look at it further in Acts chapter 5. This is a time when the church was selling all their stuff. They were kind of, they had like a communal idea. This is actually where they say communism comes from is this idea that all the Christians sold all their stuff and everybody had everything in common. Well, these two, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to seem as though they were as holy as the others and they sold a piece of land. But they kept back part of the money. They didn't give it all. But when they came to um, Peter and they put the money down at Peter's feet and they asked, hey, did you give everything? Oh, we gave it all. You got it all. But we find out in verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, we read this, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? So just so we understand, this was not required by God that you take all your stuff, sell it, and give it to the church. Okay, This was what they were doing. Ananias and Sapphira conspired to lie so that everybody thought that they were more holy than they were. That's all that's going on here. It was not required. Peter even says, while it remained, was it not your own? You didn't have to give it all to us. You could have kept it, part of it, whatever. Didn't matter. And he says, and after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, 
but to God. Right? So, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. Okay, so Peter, right there, says the Holy Spirit is God. They're one in the same. There is no difference. So their lie was not to men. They were, they were lying. Yes, they were lying to men. But when you look ultimately at our, any sin that we do, our sin is not against any one man. They may be a part of it. Ultimately, your sin is against God. Same thing that happened in the garden. When they ate the fruit, it was against God. And it's been that way ever since. That's what we're trying to work our way out of. Okay, so we see that the Holy Spirit is God. So as God, in a third part of the Godhead, His purpose, He has a purpose, a specific purpose right here in this world, right here among the church. And it's in John 16. Verses 7 through 11. And it says, Is Jesus speaking? I'm going to start with verse. No, I'm not going to go to verse 5 because I think we covered that somewhere else. I got it somewhere else, so I won't get to it. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. We already saw that he's going to do that. We saw that in another. Um, Chapter, another verse in fifteen six twenty six. All right. So, if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Okay. So this is the specific work he has to do, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He says of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict the world, not condemn the world, convict. We were talking about this the other night at the Vasquez house. Um, When you do something wrong and you're condemned, you feel like, I can't go to God, man. I can't believe I just did this thing. God will never forgive me. I never want to go back and talk to God again. I'm going away from the church. I'm never going to talk to another Christian and... Hide in the mountains, whatever you're going to do. Up here it won't work. You're going to go hide in the desert. We already live in the mountains. So we decide we're going to do that. Condemnation is of the devil. Conviction makes us go, man, I feel bad about that and I want to get right with God. So we go to God. Conviction draws us to God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict the world of sin. Okay, so what does that mean? He's going to convict the world of sin. I didn't change it on my notes. I think I changed it on yours, though. Um, What is... Oh, you know what? Hang on. Oh, I left my copy back there. What did I put? I did do John. I have it somewhere else. I wrote it different. But we'll we'll go to that one. I had a better one. That was the one I I left on here, though. But anyways, John 3, 16 through 21. This is a scripture that... If you memorize anything in the Bible... Memorize this one. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, 21, okay. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does not... He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So he convicts the world of sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to let you know you're a sinner. But God has an answer for you. That's what the Holy Spirit, the conviction, remember I said it draws you back to God. So if you know John 3.16, well, wait a minute, I feel horrible. But God loved the world and he gave his son so that if you believe, you would not perish. I'm not going to get into the story about that. There was a girl who knew just that verse, actually led a man to Christ doing that, they say. I wish I had the other scripture. I forgot to put it in. So we'll just move on. So he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness. John 17, 4 and 5. It says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Right? Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see see me no more. Righteousness, Jesus fulfilled the thing that God had asked him to do. That is his, that was his righteousness. And he's convicting the world. Look at I did it. So of sin because they do not believe. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. I've done the work. I've completed it. That's the righteousness. And when we look at that, we just go, wow. How did he do that? That was a man. I know we just did a study last week on Jesus, God. But remember, he was 100% man while he was here on the earth. At the same time, 100% God. He defeated Satan as a man, not as God. For God to defeat Satan is nothing. For a man to defeat Satan, that's something. He defeated Satan as a man to show us that if we would completely, 100% surrender and follow the way he did the Father, we could live the same life. I guarantee you, nobody will ever do it. Okay? There's doctrine out there that says that we are sinless. It's called sinless perfection. It's a lie from the devil. Okay, we will never do it, but we can never stop trying to do it. That's the goal. I've talked about. We'll get into that part later too. What what the word sin actually means? We're not going to get into that. Okay, and of judgment, he says he can evict the world of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. All right, real simple. Genesis three fifteen from the beginning, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And we talked about this last week between. Your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, that's in the garden. God already predicted the defeat of Satan, the prince of the world already judged. He was judged when he was a serpent in the garden. Jesus defeated him on a cross. We haven't seen the fulfillment in total of the judgment, but the judgment has been done. You know, it's just like, you could be convicted of a crime, whatever it is, some heinous crime you did. You can be convicted and still sit in jail for a couple months, a couple years, and then you can get the gas chamber or the death penalty or the shot in the arm or hang you or whatever they're going to do to you. 
It doesn't happen immediately. That's kind of what's going on. Satan will be judged. We know that he's going to be cast into the lake of fire eventually. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. We can definitely count on that. And when we get into, in two weeks, the Word of God, we'll know how we can trust this. Okay, So we have, the Holy Spirit has the work to do. Okay, So that's the work in the world that he has to do. But he has a work to do in the church too. The work in the church, he wants to baptize us, and this isn't water. He wants to baptize us, and he wants to give gifts. Okay, that's what he wants to do. There's three three Greek prepositions. All right, I told you we would get to those. Para, it's the with experience. Okay, you want to see that one? It's in John 14, verse 17. The with experience, para. It says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. Okay, I'm going to stop there because the next one actually is the other preposition, which is N, E-N, the in experience, right? He says that the Holy Spirit will be with you and will dwell in you, or he will dwell with you and will be in you. But we don't want to look at that one. That's not the one I wrote down. We're going to look at a different one. Romans 8, verse 9. Trying to jam. There's so much. I knew it was going to be hard to do this. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 9 of Romans. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Okay? So there's the N experience. E-N. The other Greek word. It means to dwell in. And then the third preposition is a P or the upon experience. So the Holy Spirit can be upon you. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, there is a Holy Spirit. They may not have heard that. And the Holy Spirit is with them. He is probably in them. They just don't know about it yet. Okay? Because once you accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's there. It's not like you get it somewhere down the line. Without God's Holy Spirit, you would never understand God's Word, and you would never be able to walk out God's Word. You have to have His Holy Spirit to do that. So... They didn't even hear if there was a Holy Spirit, so whatever. So in verse 3, he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. You guys, John's baptism, remember his baptism? Water. That was water. We were baptized. We were water baptized. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So it's a baptism of repentance. That's the water baptism. You accept Jesus Christ, you repent of your own life, The water baptism is symbolic of that. My old man alive, you go under the water. That's the old man dying. You come back up out of the water. That's your new man living. Okay, that's what water baptism is supposed to be. It's all symbolic. It doesn't do anything. Um, You can be a sinner, get water baptized, and you're just a clean sinner. Okay? There's more to it than just going underwater and coming out. Babies that get baptized in the Catholic Church, they're just wet wet sinners. That's all they are. So, verse 5, when they heard this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. 
So the upon experience of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden now they have that power that we were talking about, that dynamic power. Now it's working. They're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying. They weren't doing that before. So the Spirit was with them, was in them. Now they have this dynamic power as the Spirit comes upon them. And they start speaking in tongues. Okay? So how do we... We're not going to read all these. I can't because we're going to run out of time. How do we obtain the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay? Number one, you've got to be born again. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You can ask. Luke 11, 9 through 13. You can get it through prayer. Acts 4, 31. By obedience, Acts 5.32, through the word, Acts 10.44, and by faith in Galatians 3.1 and 2. Okay? So once we have the Holy Spirit, among other things we can have, or we, we see, uh, we're given power to witness, Acts 1.8. We can speak God's word with boldness in Acts 4.31. We can see that. We see preparation for the service of God in Acts 6.3. Remember when they called the men that were to serve tables? They had to be men of good report and full of the Holy Spirit. So it, it prepares you for the work. So we see how you obtain it. Examples of the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be Acts 8.12 where we see the converts in Samaria. Acts 9.17 and 18 where the, we see the conversion of Saul. Amazing story there. Uh, Acts 19.1 through 6, we see the believers at Ephesus. Okay, This is all stuff you guys can look up. That's why you got all these scriptures. Once we have... The Spirit, He wants to impart spiritual gifts. Okay, we're going to have to look at this one because I want you to understand this. This is this is key. This is critical for all that we're trying to do here in the foundations in the faith class. All right, this is the work He wants in the church. He wants to impart spiritual gifts. First Corinthians twelve one through seven. He says, "Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore." I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's how we know that those believers in Acts, we know that they were saved because they were professing Jesus, and you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, he says, There are diversities or differences of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the whole reason that we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the profit of all the body of Christ, the benefit for the body of Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He says it is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so that's the purpose for the gifts. We're not going to read all the gifts in the scriptures, but these are gifts that are in the scriptures, and this is not exhaustive. This isn't the only ones there are. There are faith, miracles, healing, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, teaching, exhortation, giving, uh, leads or leader, ministry. Uh, there's apostles or what we would call missionaries today. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, administrations. There are 
We can look through the scriptures against the artisans. Remember when Moses was doing the temple in the wilderness? God empowered the artisans to make the things that they did for the temple. There were certain people that were gifted and able to do that. Um, we see Samson was given strength. That was a special thing. He wasn't strong naturally. He got a special strength from God. The Psalters, those who wrote the Psalms. Some of those Psalms, you read those, you're just like, how could somebody have done that? God's Spirit. People that write songs. Some of the songs we listen to, you just go, ah. It just gets your heart and you're just like, this is what I want to say to God. That was the Holy Spirit that gave the person that. So there's a lot of different stuff. A lot of different gifts that you can have. So this list is not exhaustive. Okay? I end with some scriptures at the bottom there that you guys can look up. Different things you can see about God's Holy Spirit. But one of the main things that I want to do because I said that every person, every single one of us has a gift that God wants to impart to us. And like my friend Xavier said, it is not the thing you're sitting on. Okay, Your gift is not back here to sit in a pew and warm it. Your gift is for the benefit of the body of Christ. And we all have at least one gift, if not more. Okay, I did not take this test. I did look at this test though. This is one that Tanner came up with. Okay, my gift, which whether you agree with me or not, is teaching. Okay, that's what God has given me to do. Tanner, I know you don't disagree with his gift being teaching. He's an amazing teacher. Um, Michael has the gift of teaching. Okay, if you've heard him teach. Okay, we know what our gift is, so we don't take the test. My wife took the test again. I told her, why are you doing that? You already know your gift. She goes, well, I want to see. And she did it. And of course, it came out exactly what we thought it would be. I don't know. She was surprised, but none of us were. Um, what her gift, we knew what it was. So Michael has papers here, okay? Tanner got this from, I don't know where he got it from. And it's a test you take, okay? You don't have to do it. I'm not going to throw you out of here if you don't do it. Um, it's for your benefit. Because if you don't know your gift, your spiritual gift, what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, then how are you going to be effective in the body of Christ? So, and you don't have to take it today. We're going to give it to you and you can take it home. Next week, we can cover this. We can go over it. If you have questions, you can talk to me. You can talk to Tanner. You can talk to Michael. You can talk to Patty. Um, who else took it? Tim took it. Whitney took it. Okay, these guys are everybody here. This, this is like kind of our leadership group here. If you have questions, you can talk to any of these guys. I know Sally's probably more comfortable talking with Michael, so if you have questions. And Sally, this is for you too, okay? You have a gift, okay? You may not know what it is. This is just going to kind of guide you. Okay, if you've ever, I know everybody in here is way too young, except maybe you, to, oh, and, and Richard, to know what manual steering is on a car. Okay? They didn't always have power steering on cars. Power steering, you go like this and turn the wheel. Okay? Manual steering, you hung on it. You, you know, you got your friend to hang on it with you. And to try to get the steering wheel to move. But it was always easier to turn a wheel, manual steering wheel, when the car was moving, you could turn it. If it was sitting still, it was next to impossible. If it was moving, you could turn the wheel. Okay. What we're going to do with this is you want to look at it. You want to see if what, what your strong points are, figure out what your gift is, and then start moving. And then God will steer you. Okay. Don't sit still because it's hard for him to steer you when you're not doing anything. Start moving and he will steer and guide you. I wasn't sure when I thought my gift was teaching how that was going to work out. So I sat down and I, I actually sat down and wrote out a study 
And I had, from the time I was in probably seventh grade all the way through high school, I did one book report, and it was the same one every year. And I never even read the book. I saw a movie and wrote the book report on it. Okay, I hated work. I hated school. I sat down one night, and I wrote out a Bible study. Patty and I weren't married. She came over. I go, look at this. And I showed Patty. She's like, where'd you get that from? I'm like, God just gave this to me. I found out probably five years later, there's a thing called inductive Bible study methods. They teach it at the Bible college. Your daughter will learn it because it's a key thing for any Bible student is to learn the inductive study method. I found out five years after I did this study that I had done an inductive Bible study. I had no idea what it was. I just did this thing, and I went, wow, this is a trip. I went to the church. I was at Cover Chapel, West Covina, talked to the guy in charge of the youth ministry. I felt a heart to the junior high, started teaching in the junior high, did that for like seven years, went from there to Calvary Chapel, Pasadena, ran the high school ministry there for like eight years. Um, came up here. We were here. I got involved with the youth ministry at Calvary Chapel, Lake Arrowhead for many years while my kids were going through it. Um, I still love teaching the youth, but I'm too old to be the youth guy, so... Um, when I got to teach last year at the camp, when you guys did the junior high, it was I had so much fun. I, lo- I still have a heart for the youth because that's the next generation. But I, I started moving. I started writing the Bible study, not having a clue as to what I was doing. So Michael's going to pass these out. Take them with you. And this is for everybody that has not done one. They have one, though. They got them sent in. You can have it done. If it went on, you gotta, you've got to do it. The only people that get an excuse now that don't have to do it, Tim, Michael, Whitney. I don't even know if Becca's done it yet. Okay, so Becca's going to do it. Okay, the only reason I'm... Yeah, take as many as you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's It's... Um, Tanner pointed out too when he handed these to us or we're talking about it, it doesn't do you any good to lie on it. Like you have to be really honest with yourself. No one's gonna see your answers. You can say I really suck in this area, like don't, don't try to give yourself a little bit of credit because it won't help you. That's right, I won't be offended. Oh, so this was got, we got this from Fuller Evangelistic Association, okay? That's where this came from. So we're going to always have these around, okay? This is something Tanner wants because this is part of the discipleship because we can all become part of the body and that's what we want to be. And we will see that when we get into practical Christian living in the study, we will cover some of the gifts and how they will apply to the body and how you can hinder or help the body of Christ with your gifts. So like Whitney said... Um, don't hold back. Don't lie. You don't have to show anybody this. If you have questions, um, some of the stuff like Tim's, he got martyrdom. Okay. Right. That's my gift. Okay. Yeah. Let's go die. All right. If that's your thing and you don't understand it, I got to end here. Um, that doesn't mean you just sit in the pew until somebody finally kills you. Okay. That's not what that's about. But we can explain that. And like I said, in Tanner, uh, Mike Vasquez, Adam, uh, we all ended up with this. He wanted all the leadership to have this so that we could all go through it. I said, I already know what my gift is, so I didn't take the test. I've done one before, and it turns out exactly what I think my gift is, teaching. All right, so that's just what I do. Um,
there, that doesn't mean it's only teaching because God has used me sometimes to heal, sometimes to pray, sometimes you've got to do some administration, sometimes you do some other stuff. So, but you do have a primary gift that God wants to use you and that's the gift you want to aim towards and then let him use you in any other way he sees fit. So with that, let's pray. I'm already four minutes late and we want to get done and get out of here and you guys have a great time at Disneyland. Somebody, somebody in that family is filthy rich to be able to do that. Cause that's, man, it's expensive now. I know. All right, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for tonight. Uh, help us all, Lord, to, to constantly seek you, to make sure we understand our gift and that we apply our gift and use our gift for the benefit of the full body of Christ, uh, whatever that would mean, but that we wouldn't just sit and warm with you, that we would get involved and be a part of the game, increasing the kingdom of God, your kingdom. In Jesus' name we, in Jesus name we pray. Amen.